0: Greetings, you're listening to Vital Views, UNLV nursing podcast. I'm Joe Gascione, communications director for the School of Nursing. What goes into a concussion? How does it truly impact someone suffering from one? Any average sports fan out there can probably tell you what it looks like, but we can only imagine what that does to someone's brain having a traumatic injury, whether it looks mild or not. One of the unique aspects of nursing is through the research of nurse scientists who are exploring new ways to identify and treat conditions like this. We are joined by two very special guests today on the topic of traumatic brain injuries. First up is Dr. Hannah Lee, Associate Professor with Tenure at UNLV School of Nursing. Her focus is on cognitive health, including sleep disruption and brain injuries. Specifically, she studies biobehavioral mechanisms for recovery from chronic mild traumatic brain injury or concussion. We also have Cynthia Lee, Doctoral Research Graduate Assistant, who helps Dr. Lee in their research. Thank you both for coming in. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Dr. Lee, we'll start with you. How do we define traumatic brain injury?
1: So I'd like to cite what NINDS, National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke, uh, one of NIH institutes, they uh, define traumatic brain injury as a form of acquired brain injury occurring when a sudden trauma, usually uh, outside of the body system, causing damage to the brain. So in my study, I think this involves temporary or sometimes permanent neurobiological impairments, which lead to functional outcomes uh, following the injury. Uh, because of the neuronal uh, damage and loss in the brain. In my study, I'm looking at some different biomarkers in body fluid, uh, in blood and saliva as well. You know, the brain is such a complicated system, so it's hard to understand fully uh, if especially this mild type of brain injury, it's a closed-head system. So it's hard to look into from outside. So we wanted to use some biomarker from saliva and blood. You know, a lot of other researchers are looking at that Biomarker as well, some genetic expression messenger RNA or DNA, uh, some epigenetic markers as well. So currently, I'm looking at microRNA as a, a one of potential biomarker for neurocognitive function uh, change after injury, this type of concussion or mild traumatic brain injury, because my, my, microRNA is uh, it's not really directly involving making protein in the body system, but it does regulate from the top biological kind of pathway by actually gene silencing so it's blocking um, to make specific protein from specific gene but it's stable because it travels actually when it travels to extracellular space from even from the uh, brain it's protected in exosome or other microvesicles so it can be detected from blo- uh, blood and saliva too which can tell us about what's going on with the uh, in brain after injury and especially like cognitive or some psychological function related symptoms.
0: All that being said, and you mentioned that concussion studies are incredibly complicated and we still don't know the full breadth of, of what goes into one. Can concussions be considered mild?
1: So concussion is in fact generally uh, referred to as a mild type of head injury so that's why we also kind of use mild traumatic brain injury is another term so it's kind of inter, interchangeably um, you know, used mainly because there is no visible sign from outside uh, in most cases and also those individuals with a concussion not necessarily pass out after concussion or the injury I wanted to mention how American Congress of Rehabilitation Medicine introduced the criteria for diagnosing mild TBI. So uh, there is mild type, moderate type, and uh, severe type. But for mild TBI like usually those individual has loss of consciousness less than 30 minutes or no loss of consciousness or some uh, post traumatic amnesia meaning you know loss of memory for the uh, less than 24 hours after injury and there is also a clinical scale called the glasgow coma scale which tells the level of consciousness uh, but that's usually only available in clinical setting so unless this individual you know sees a medical Healthcare providers after their injury, it's not really available for this. You know, the the Glasgow Coma Scale is not may not be available for concussion or mild TBI people. But from the diagnostic criteria, it's a f- 13 to 15 out of 15. You know, best score. So it's a really mild. So th- meaning, you know, they have close to normal level of consciousness. Um, so it's hard to tell, most cases, it's hard to tell whether the, these people has uh, any
2: specific symptoms from the injury.
0: Cynthia, how did you get involved in this research?
2: So separate from what I'm doing with uh, Dr. Lee, um, I'm actually an occupational therapy student at um, UNLV. So they have a new program there that um, we're currently in the progress of getting accredited. accredited. And so I was just honestly looking for any positions that would kind of (laughs) help me with, like, my tuition, just realistically. So um, I was looking at, I think it was Handshake, and I I was just connected with Dr. Lee there. And then um, we were talking, and she had a um, graduate research position open um, for doctoral students. So um, I thought that would be a good opportunity and that's what um, brought me to her.
0: Stepping away from the research for a second, just in practical terms, when faculty have uh, graduate assistants, what is that process like? What is the the workload like for a graduate assistant? What are the benefits?
2: For one, aside from like financial reasons, um, which is definitely a plus. Um, you get really involved in like research and understand the research process so for us for occupational therapy one of the things that students can get into is research especially for capstone projects working with Dr. Lee with like various researches um, allow me to kind of understand what the research process is like and connecting that with what I'm learning through like quantitative studies qualitative studies um, courses and all that
0: Dr. Lee, your team looks at various ways to study traumatic brain injuries, uh, from smartphone apps to eye-tracking devices. Can you explain how these experiments work and how they relate?
2: I can definitely speak to that. Sure. So while working in different studies, we've had like um, apps and eye-tracking de- devices that you've mentioned. And so one of the apps that we were looking at is the mHealth app. And so the M Health app is like a app that measures your gait and your dynamic balance. And so what we have um, participants do is we have. Um kind of phone strap and we um, put the phone uh, in the strap and have them walk around I think 400 feet um, in a straight line and so we can see what their um, dynamic balance is like there and we have another app called upload that we are collaborating with and that app is focused on dual task training so we have participants do a walking task. And that could be either like a tandem type of walk, which is like a heel to toe, um, an eight figure um, pattern type of walk. While they're doing that simultaneously, they are required to do some type of cognitive task. And that could be either counting backwards from a specific number or identifying household objects. And then, lastly, we have like the eye link tracking uh, eye tracking device. And what that is is that we have um, participants sit in front of a computer, and they follow um, a red red dot that's moving. And so, what that um, program is doing is that it's tracking vertical eye movement, horizontal eye movement, and how fast the eye, m- eye is moving from point A to point B. And that's particularly significant in our research because eye movement impairment can be like an indicator of a concussion. So that could um, potentially be something to look at when testing for a concussion.
0: And that leads right into my next question. We talk about concussion symptoms, uh, traumatic brain injury symptoms. They're not always obvious. What are some of the clear ones and what are some subtle symptoms? And this could be for either one of you.
1: So in our study, um, although um, we wanted to take, you know, quite caution to interpret the data because it's all, you know, one specific, you know, setting and small, quite rather small sample size. But we found that before and after that specific, you know, it's called dual task training, you know, while the person doing some one specific walking, but they're also asked to do you know, some different types of cognitive. So that way, those um, dual tasks kind of push the specific person's brain to complete two different tasks at the same time, which hypothetically help the cognitive improvement in the end. So we, ch- uh, we checked, you know, pre and post kind of functional changes. We found that cognitive improvement in specific t- in um, mild TBI group compared to control, although control groups still show some improvement in executive functioning. But in mild TBI, uh, we saw that psychomotor and processing speed improved, which is actually known to be a, a sensitive biomarker for neurodegenerative disorder development. So we are excited about that, and the other thing is, you know, psychosocial, you know, symptoms like depression, uh, mostly actually anxiety and also uh, sleep disturbance that were uh, all improved in uh, mtbi group only not control group so those are the cognitive part and psychosocial part and uh, we are actually analyzing currently uh, still eye link you know eye tracking um, the rapid eye movement data but so far what we know is um, in our sample we know that uh, multiple injury like repetitive injury um, had lower accuracy when they're move their eye fast following the dots compared to a single injury group so which is actually the same finding from others you know previous data as well for walking balance we are still analyzing those data but we are more interested in finding objective but non invasive way to measure post-injury symptoms. Um, So we still use some surveys and questionnaire, you know, mostly self-reported kind of manner. But uh, we also use uh, CNS fighter sign, which is like very comprehensive, but objective cognitive test or assessment. And also like, you know, uh, eye tracking and also the... um, You know, some balance measures we use uh, as objective functional measurement. So those are what we found from even mild type of traumatic brain injury showed such, you know, cognitive and psychological and some balance issues even after five years uh, from their last injury. The thing that I wanted to mention here is, uh, so I'm interested in chronic or long-term effect of, you know, one even single concussion or a single mild TBI. Not everyone, you know, going to have a problem. You know, I wanted to emphasize that. That's that's clear. But small subset of those with a concussion or mild TBI may suffer from either cognitive, psychosocial, or physical impairment. Maybe, you know, it, those uh, symptoms may develop a few days after, but, you know, it could be a month, some months le- after, or some years after. And also there are quite a big epidemiology study uh, looking at um, more than, I, I believe, 160,000 veterans with lifetime mild TBI history. They found that even mild type, in, in addition to moderate or severe TBI, can increase almost more than 50% risk for Parkinson's disease. And also another study uh, with a football player, NFL players, 300 fo- football players were followed over 19 years. And they also found post-injury after that specific you know, sports game uh, related to depressive symptoms. Long after in their life, so that's what I'm interested in. You know, chronic, um, you know, side of uh, the effect from the concussion and mild TBI especially there is not enough uh, health system or support available for college students, like sports athletes, or, you know, any um, individual with a concussion from car accident or, you know, falling, simply falling. And again, it's not visible symptoms at the injury. So not many people seek for medical help right away. And they may not recognize either, too. But then, you know, some symptoms may happen after, you know, sometime after that specific injury, although I'm not saying the concussion or mild TBI cause every, you know, problems. There will be a lot of other, you know, risk factors and you know um, some other factors in their life, like stressors or you know pre-injury uh, health condition, also playing together with this concussion for developing specific symptoms.
0: You mentioned athletes. You mentioned veterans. Are these populations more likely to uh, suffer from TBI? Are there other groups that are just as vulnerable that you've noticed?
1: I guess the researchers looking looking into athletes and veterans more because they're uh, the context where they're at. Like you know, they are exposed to more risk to uh, not only head trauma but some you know physical trauma. And also for veterans or the active military service members too, you know, uh, because of they're in the, such a you know traumatic kind of environment with uh, a lot of unexpected, uh, dangerous stimuli in that environment that can lead to their brain injury and also other part of uh, physical injury too. Some people also think that we need to look at the more homogeneous or same type of injury at a time so that way we can have better understanding what's really going on in the brain. So that's another reason why people kind of chose those groups. But like I said, um, you know, car accident could be, you know, obvious, you know, common cause for brain injury and other th- trauma as well. And also elderly people, you know, those who are, uh, like, more susceptible to, like, because all different types of healthcare uh, health problems, they may be, you know, more prone to falling in, uh, you know, even in their, you know, the regular house. Uh, environment. So those are all, you know, we we cannot say one specific population are all more prone to uh, brain injury. I wanted to mention also teenagers and kids, you know, those are also another groups that we need to, you know, consider for this type of injury.
0: And you touched on this a moment ago, but it has to be hard to study because there doesn't sound like one template for traumatic brain injury. You could react one way, another person could react another way, The time that it takes for symptoms to develop could be... uh, That's why you're studying the chronic uh, side of things. It's hard to classify because everyone's different.
1: Yeah, that's true. But from research perspective, we wanted to have at least, you know, some standardized way to understand, you know, what's going on after a specific injury. But another thing I wanted to mention is, you know, uh, concussion or mild tibia, again, not every single injury will... Increase the risk, but some people may suffer from long term neurodegenerative disorders like uh, more prone to developing Alzheimer's or Parkinson's disease. So, which means those post injury symptoms and neurodegenerative disorders, they may have some commonality in symptoms. So, we need to really look from all different angles, you know, not just from one single injury, but, you know, maybe cognitive declines, executive function or processing speed, how that are related to from one specific injury versus long-term consequences, which maybe in, it could be uh, the whole process of developing neurodegenerative disorder too. So yeah, it's a hard. Uh, everyone is different. You know, we cannot really, you know, put every, you know, human subject in one lab and then Exposed to the same uh, environment, so so that's why we need to know, understand, and consider for even healthcare providers about any you know specific risk factors. Again, my background, uh, I'm coming from psychiatric and mental health nursing, so I'm more interested in pre-injury um, psychological trauma. And because that also affects how brain function and um, even how well the brain recover, like resilience from specific trauma. So that all affects brain in addition to, you know, external force um, initiated brain injury, too. So it's not easy or it's not simple area for sure.
0: Dr. Lee, you've worked with UNLV Sports Research and Innovation Initiative, specifically with UNLV athletes. Can you talk about the partnership and what you're looking for?
1: Yes. Um, so this is really exciting. I believe about five years ago, this um, a group of faculty across disciplines on the campus started to gather together for um, with a uh, you know specific re- interested in sports research. Now it's really growing a lot, and it has um, eleven, I believe, eleven different pillars, um, like covering sports management, marketing. Also, brain health is one of the uh, big um, the groups uh, where actually I belong to. And under brain health, uh, military and first responder uh, pillar is another you know subgroup that I also belong to too. Dr. Jeff Kinney leading uh, the brain health and I'm working with Dr. Kara Rezak, John Mercer, Brian Schilling, Chuping Lee, you know, all different, you know, athletic training and also physical therapy too. Uh, working together for uh, not only for research, but also, again, we collaborate a lot with the industry executive and also organization. So it's a fun time in Las Vegas with uh, all different type of sports like professional NFL, uh, hockey, so Raiders and Golden Knights and so forth. So we wanted to expand more collaboration with the different groups uh, for this sports um, area. So, but not only professional, but also collegiate, collegiate uh, athletes and also young um, kids who's playing sports as well.
0: On that subject, when we think about athletes, we think about student athletes that might be concerned about concussions or brain injuries, especially the ones that play football, you know, not saying that it's inevitable, but some sports might be more likely to, to have this happen to them what would be your advice, what would be your um, your messaging to these athletes that might be worried about concussion symptoms or uh, concussion possibilities?
2: I can actually speak to that. So one of the things that we've um, uncovered while we've um, interviewed different sports athletes is that the reason why a lot of people don't, Um, report that they have concussion symptoms or they feel that something is wrong is because they're worried about the repercussions of um, either being held back um, in their sport or like losing their scholarships. So um, understanding all that, um, it's definitely frustrating and it could be a reason why people aren't reporting uh, these symptoms to their coaches or their physicians. But given all that and what we've talked about today, Um, concussion symptoms can be very persistent and they can um, impact one's uh, not only sports performance but also their work and their school. So we really want to emphasize the importance of having a support system where you can report and um, talk about these symptoms. And then from there, um, your physician or coach can kind of talk through about what you should do.
0: Does it feel like with some of these athletes that there's a social stigma in sharing their stories
2: definitely definitely um yeah especially because um there's a lot of things that are on the line with them especially for college athletes that have work and school and um, their scholarships on the line so they probably feel a lot of pressure um, and that's maybe why they don't report um, these symptoms
1: along the same, you know, line here that what Cynthia said. So we've so we, it's kind of surprising, um, although literature show that like maybe some subset of, you know, uh, athletes may not uh, hesitant, actually hesitant to report, you know, whether uh, if they got concussion or not. But we kind of found that from the actual interviewees, they mentioned, you know, more than majority, actually more than half of the group. Um, not reporting because it's, it's uh, like, not a, like professional team where, you know, medical team is available and all sports, um, you know, sports team or medical teams are uh, available for supporting these, uh, those uh, professional athletes. These college students, you know, they do not have such a system, support system, uh, especially medical help. Again, the concussion may not um, lead to specific symptoms right away. It may take time to develop specific symptoms, so it needs more like long-term or organized, t- standardized uh, kind of monitoring system, which is not always available in school or university. If um, college students, even if they have they suspect any concussion from you know specific sports activities. It's very important to communicate closely with their coach and you know uh, even their parents and healthcare provider too, you know, because um, like you mentioned, Joe, um, like it's a subtle mostly from you know of symptoms from concussion, even could be physical or cognitive and emotional and sleep problems, um, but whenever they feel oh this is different, you know this is different feeling, I have headache which. I never had before that specific concussion or, uh, you know, sleep uh, hard to sleep or, you know, sleep more than usual or the less than usual. You know, those kind of any change they can recognize, yeah. uh, they need to be more sensitive about it and then talk to uh, specific like if you know healthcare v- provider is available that would be great, but talk to coaching and team other um, you know staffs if possible so that way they can those symptoms can be monitored throughout the time. Uh, it may just go away naturally, but it's uh, better to you know communicate closely with uh, you know specific you know. Um, professional
0: if possible and also you have to have that support system too that exists not just with the students or athletes but with their their coaches with their trainers to be comfortable to say i'm not feeling well i think there might be something uh, you know a little worse than what we we think you know building that trust Mm -hmm. to not be afraid to to admit that you might have some type of brain injury
1: right along with that like i think you know because of this old brain injury um research uh it's growing you know in uh, not only you know here but like nationally and also internationally too so a lot of policy uh kind of changes and you know in a way, improved uh, for us uh, especially in school system and university system. So I believe it's not like you know, even if you know one have a concussion, you know, you, you just take care of it kind of thing. There should be the system, uh, university or again school does have better safe guidelines to follow, and even after one concussion or you know preventing guidelines too, which include you know wearing helmet and so forth. Um, so. Building trust, yes, that's really important. But athletes, you know, I want them to think that, you know, you are in a better system with a better policy uh, compared to, you know, in the past. So I'm sure there should be, you know, some um, help available, although maybe not right there, but just be always cautious and then re- you know, try to recognizing what's going on in their body, that's another important. So that way they can communicate with, uh, you know, whenever, um, you know, healthcare providers available or coach or athletic trainer available in their team.
0: That's all the time we have today. Dr. Lee, Cynthia, thank you both for coming in.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us.
0: Thanks for listening out there. Hope you have a great day.